0: Let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19. Isaiah 59, verse 19. So shall they fear the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. When the enemy comes in like a flood, The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Heavenly Father, help us with your word this morning. May it burn in our hearts. May your truth come alive in our spirit, man. May it turn us around, O Lord, and bring life. Thank you that nothing will prohibit or prevent this word from reaching those for whom it was intended. In your mighty name, amen. When the enemy comes in like a flood, now we look at our world and that's quite clear. The enemy has come in like a flood on every single level. It's almost like the world has been flooded with evil and wickedness. But you see, God's got an answer and that's what we need to understand. The promise is that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard. All right? Now, It doesn't mean to say that it's automatic. As always, remember, you and I have got to read these things, realize the promise is made, and the big question is, where do we fit in? I mean, where do we fit in? You see, it's very convenient to say, well, the Lord will raise up a standard, so guess what? Let me roll over and play dead. (laughs) You see, the question is, what is that standard? If we understand it correctly, you see, we are the standard he wants to raise up. Amen? Now, if we're not available to be raised up, God is stuck. Quite frightening, isn't it? We've got to be available, you see. We've got to take the promise and operate on it. So the point is, when evil comes in, God wants to do something. That's always been the story of history. Amen? And the title of this message is Turning the Tables. You all know what I mean by turning the tables. When things are going bad, we turn the tables on the enemy. We turn the tables. I think Ireland was hoping right at the end there (laughs) to turn the tables on New Zealand, but it didn't happen. It's quite clear that the Southern Hemisphere is thrashing the Northern Hemisphere. And may the trend continue. Hallelujah. But anyway. Amen. (laughs) God wants, in every situation, to turn the tables. Amen. When the enemy comes in like a flood, what does God want to do? Turn the thing around. Flip it around. Okay. And if you look at the history in the Bible, that's what God does all the time. Israel's stuck there. The Egyptians are coming to destroy them. It looks hopeless. Moses goes before God, God says, What's that in your hand? Raise your staff. You see? And we all know the story, the Red Sea parts, and God turned the tables completely around. That's the nature of God. Amen. In every situation we face nationally, individually, as a church, as a community, what is God's heart? He wants to flip the thing around. Okay? Now, what we've got to grasp in our hearts is that it's possible. That's the first thing. All right? We've got to realize it's possible. All things are possible to God. Amen? There was a time in Israel's history where they were being attacked. King Hezekiah was confronted with this enemy that was like the sand of the desert, the stars of the sky. There was such a multitude of them that it was just overwhelming. There was no hope. Not a chance. All right? She calls for Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, declares that there will be victory. That you won't have to fight even. Did you know that? Can I tell you what happened in that particular situation? God sent one angel. (laughs) One angel. That one angel wiped out 185,000 fighting men, overnight. Don't be an enemy of God, whatever you do. (laughs) Don't make that stupid mistake. It's an unfair battle. Don't fight with the man. Just do what he says. Okay, that's the lesson. But anyway, the point is, the situation was desperate. You understand? In the natural, there was no hope. But God turned the table around. But why did he turn it around? Well, if you read the story, Hezekiah tore his clothes, went before God in the temple, cried out to God, prayed. Can you see that? And what we've got to understand is that when God turns the tables, it's because somebody did something. Amen? You see, if God wants to turn the tables in our country and in the world, he's looking to you and I to do something. All right? Does everybody get that? We've got to grasp that it's possible in our home, whatever the problem, God can turn it around, you see. He can turn the tables. Whatever we face, it doesn't matter. That's quite encouraging, is it not? However, that's not the end of the story. You see, I could stop the message there and say, oh, well, if everybody goes home, God's going to turn the tables. No, he's not. Unless, can you see? Now, what we've got to learn this morning is what are we supposed to do? We've all got that. Can you see? And if we look in the Bible, let's just go to 2 Corinthians 10 from verse 3. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 10, and I'm just going to read from verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Do you all see that? That's worth underlining if you have the liberty to underline in your Bible. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You see that? Pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, what we've got to understand, every situation Which we face. Every problem that is arrayed against us, behind it, is a spiritual force. Does everybody get that? You see, when the boss gets all upset with you and behaves in a totally unrealistic way, there's something behind it. There's something, there's somebody behind it. Okay, now listen. You see, we've got to fight that something behind. Can you all see that? If we don't fight the thing behind, that situation is going to overwhelm, which is the story of the world. Can you all see that? The Lord said this. I'll just read it for you. Mark 3.27. Mark 3.27. Now listen to this. This is the Lord speaking. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Do you see that? No one can enter a strong man's house, Mark 3 verse 27, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. So just get the picture. You and I are faced with a problem. We want to plunder the good and have happiness. But you can't plunder a house until you've bound the one holding it, the strong man. In every situation, there's a strong man. Can I tell you, in Israel, behind the Hamas is a strong man. That strong man has got to be bound. You can wipe every hummus off the face of the earth until that strong man is bound. It'll just rise up again and again and again and again. Can you see that? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty. Please understand that even though they're not physical, they are very powerful. They're more powerful than physical weapons. But what are those weapons? You see, we've got to learn to use the weapons of our warfare. Amen? If you understand every situation, there's a spiritual activity behind it. We've got to fight it with spiritual weapons. And God has given us the weapons. Amen? So for God to turn the tables around He's looking to the people of God to use the weapons that we've been given. Amen? If we use the weapons, we know what the weapons are, and we use them, we can live happy. What are these weapons? All right. What are these weapons? Well, you see, obviously, the Bible says that this is the victory that we have, even our faith. Faith is the great weapon of our warfare. And faith relies on you and I to speak the right things. The starting point is what we say. The most powerful weapon that you and I have is this piece of equipment located on our face. That's why the devil wants to get us to use it wrong. Can you see that? Every time we use our mouth wrong, what are we doing to the greatest weapon that we have? It's like having a nuclear bomb but you go there and you have a party around it, you put decorations on it, and you use it for the wrong reasons. You're not using the weapon. You're playing around with it. And every time you and I use our mouths incorrectly, we weaken that weapon, because that's the weapon that releases faith. But be that as it may, that's a whole lesson on its own. What we've got to also realize is that it's not just by speaking the word. There's also another way of releasing faith, and that is through prayer. Amen? The great power that we have against the enemy is the power of prayer. There was once (laughs) an evangelist who went to India, I think it was, or China. No, it was China. And they gave him a vast area to evangelize. And he looked at it and he said, it's impossible. So he made a decision. What I will do is I'll work in the south and I'll pray for the north. (laughs) He said, I'm going to work in the South. I can't get to the North. I'm just going to pray for the North. When he finished his ministry, guess what? (laughs) Far more converts came out of the North than than came out of the South. (laughs) His prayers were more effective than his actions. Now, we're not saying we mustn't do stuff, but we've got to realize prayer is extremely powerful. I'll just share this testimony with us. There was, as you all know, the Second World War. And Britain was fighting Germany. And in the early stages of the war, the British sent their army, expeditionary force they called it, into Europe, into France. And they suffered early defeat, terrible defeat, at the hands of the German army. And so all these soldiers were stranded in France and the whole army was on the brink of being totally exterminated by the Germans. Did you know that? In 1914. It was a terrible situation terrible situation. And Winston Churchill, looking at the situation, realized that it was almost hopeless. But he did what he could. And what he did is he called on all the people that owned boats throughout England, because it is a seafaring nation, to take their boats across the channel and rescue these soldiers. It was a beach, Dunkirk. King George VI, faced with this dire predicament. Do you know what he did? He declared a day of prayer in England. Do you know that eyewitnesses saw all the cathedrals, all the chapels, people lining out. Can you believe this? In England, people lining out to go and pray. They lined the streets, going into cathedrals, going into churches to pray, to pray. Well, to this day, they speak of the miracle of Dunkirk. Did you know that? I'll tell you why. A number of things happened that are completely unexplicable. For a start, Hitler, for no reason that any historian can discover, told his troops to stop fighting. They had the enemy in their hands. He didn't give them the order to proceed. How does that happen? The Bible says the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. To this day, it's a mystery. That's number one. Number two, on that day, The weather was so overcast that the German Air Force couldn't take off. The Luftwaffe. They could have come in and wiped them out on the beach. All these defenseless soldiers, they could have just destroyed them totally. But they couldn't take off. The cloud cover wouldn't allow them to take off. Number two. Number three, the sea, the channel, the British channel, was like glass. There was not one wave. All these British. Boat owners, little skiffs, whatever, they all got across this big tract of sea that was like glass and they rescued over 300,000 Allied troops. Over 300,000 Allied troops. And those troops were able to fight later on. It actually turned the course of the war. Isn't that an awesome thought? It was totally miraculous. People speak to this day of the miracle of Dunkirk. But what happened? The king declared a day of prayer. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so prayer is a very powerful weapon. You and I need to learn to pray, to consistently pray. In the face of difficulties, continue to pray. Did you know every single prayer, God receives it in heaven, did you know that? Every single prayer is collected by him. And the more you and I pray, It's very much like that bowl of prayer that he collects. When it reaches tipping point, guess what? Tips it over and there's your answer. Amen? So we mustn't stop praying. It's very important. But let's add something to that prayer. Let's go to another scripture. This is the one in Matthew 17. I'm not going to read the whole scripture. It's from 19 to 21. I'm just going to read the relevant point. but. You all recall that yeah, this man has got a child that is epileptic, a little boy, that this demon in him throws him in the fire, throws him in the water. How traumatic is that? All day you've got to watch your child because you never know. It must have been a tired father and a mother, I assume. Anyway, the Lord is operating on the earth. This father brings the child to the disciples, and they try to cast this demon out. It doesn't work. They eventually bring him to the Lord. And the Lord Yeshua casts this demon out. It's quite a messy thing because the demon throws this child like a last sort of thrash onto the ground, and they actually think that the boy is dead. But the Lord takes him by the hand, and he is restored. Totally healed. Totally healed. In other words, in that situation, God turned the tables around. Can you all see that? What looked like a terrible situation. To all intents and purposes, God turned it around. But listen, the disciples later on said to the Lord, why couldn't we not do this? Okay, that's the question, because in the past, they had been charged to cast out demons, and they had done it quite successfully, but this one they couldn't do. What does the Lord turn around and say? Before we go there, he rebukes them for not having enough faith. All right, faith is the key. But then he says, however, this kind does not go out Except by prayer and fasting. You see that? Prayer and fasting. Some Bibles don't mention the fasting, but many do. Now, what I want to say is this the ability to pray is one thing, but let me put it this way if we want our prayers just to get that extra boost. Turbo prayer, that's a good way of putting it. If we add to our prayer fasting, it makes all the difference. It can bring that breakthrough which binds that strong man and allows us to plunder his goods. Amen? Now, we have got to be very wise about this fasting business. It's quite tricky. I'm going to teach a little bit on practicalities. But before we go there, In the Old Testament, you all might know the book of Esther. Do you all remember Esther? It's at a stage in Israel's history where they had been banished. They had been thrown out of the land because of their sins. They scattered throughout Asia, what was then the Medo-Persian Empire, Babylon. And the whole story is that in this great kingdom, Esther gets raised up because of circumstances. We won't go there. She becomes the queen to the emperor, Asherah. Now, there's a gentleman by the name of Haman, the spiritual forebear of the Haman, (laughs) quite possibly Amalek. But the point is this, that this man gets offended by another gentleman by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew, and Haman wants to get favor with the emperor, and this whole story, he wants everybody to worship him, but this Mordecai says, no ways, I've got one god, and Haman hates him, okay? Pathological hatred which we find even in the world today. Anti-Semitism, if you want to call it that. Anyway, Mordecai is the uncle of Esther. He raised this girl up, right? And she's the queen, and he's now in this position, and Haman makes a little crafty trick to give him permission to destroy all the Jews throughout the whole empire. All right, so they set a particular day. This day, they're going to wipe them all out. Mordecai hears about this and he goes to Esther and he says to Esther, listen, you've got to do something. You've got influence. You've got to do something. Well, Esther turns around and she says to him, because you see, in that day and age, the queen didn't waltz into the king's office at Lib. No, he had to summons her and she hadn't been summoned. She had to take her life in her hands and go before him and you see, the story was, if he raised the scepter, it would be fine. If not, she died. Okay, you didn't mess with the king in those days, trust me. But anyway, what she turned around to Mordecai and said, listen, get everybody to fast and to pray for three days. All right? That was her instruction. And that's what they did. Her and her maidservants, they all fasted and they prayed for three days. As a result of that, When the queen went into the chamber, the king raised the scepter. And if you read the story, you know what happened. The whole situation, the Jews were facing complete annihilation. A desperate situation. What happened? The whole thing was turned around. Turned around. Can you see that? The tables were turned. Now, if you understand it correctly, certain things happened, yes. I can't go into the details, but... Basically, the Jews were given the right to defend themselves and they actually wiped out all their enemies. And this character Haman, Mordecai, was placed in his place above him. So the whole thing was totally turned around. Haman was actually hung on the very thing that he had planned to hang Mordecai. I mean, it's a miracle what happened. But you see, if you understand correctly, the strong man was bound. Can you see that? Because the strong man was bound through prayer and fasting, What worked out just happened. Can you see that? God was able to turn the tables around. The enemy had come in like a flood, but God raised up a standard. Can you see that? What was the key? Prayer and fasting. You know what? Prayer and fasting. We've got to learn how to pray and to fast as individuals and as a church. All right, now, can I just say something? We have to be cautious with this fasting, because it's a very powerful weapon. It's almost like a nuclear bomb, but you don't go throwing a nuclear bomb around. You've got to be very careful how we go about it and understand it. So what we're going to do is talk about that right now. How do we fast correctly? All right now, there's a number of things I need to say. First of all, what fasting is, essentially is when you and I decide, we choose to forego something that appeals to our flesh. Something that appeals to our flesh. Most often it refers to food. Most often. But it's not necessarily just food. Alright. As you know, the Lord went into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days before he started his ministry. In a sense, he bound the strong man before he plundered his goods. That's why he operated in such power. Does that mean you and know I've got to go for 40 days without food? Listen, we've got to understand this thing. We are all at different levels of our development. Does everybody understand that? And it's best not to try and jump in too deep to start off with. If you're training a child to swim, do you just throw them in the deep end and say, oh, well, just see if you can make it. I know people that went off and fasted for 40 days and they're young Christians and then they enjoyed it so much they carried on and they killed themselves. They came out of wrong and they ate too much. One kid, he fasted and then he ate so much ice cream he died. Can you believe it? We've got to be cautious with this thing. We've got to be careful. Please, let's understand this. The way to go about fasting is this, to understand it, all right? And to look it upon it as an agreement between you and God. Amen. An agreement you make with God. Not what somebody tells you to do. It's an agreement you make with God. And every one of us is in a different place. I used to fast long times physically. But now because of the condition that I'm in, it's a bit tricky for me to fast like that. I must control my food and my eating. But for me to fast now is not a very good thing. But does that mean I can't fast? No, it doesn't. It means there's other areas in my life which I can fast. Okay? Please, we've got to understand this. Be very cautious. People, especially ladies, I might say, they go into a fast thinking it's a very spiritual thing, but you know what it actually is? They're trying to lose weight. I'm serious. Now, can you see? There's nothing wrong with losing weight. There's nothing wrong with dieting and all that, eating wisely. But you mustn't confuse... Fasting with dieting. Can you all see that? It can be very dangerous. Can be dangerous. Intention, the heart. We've got to get this right. We've got to understand it. When we understand it, we can use it powerfully. Amen? The heart attitude is very important. Other thing you've got to understand about fasting is that it's not putting God in a box and saying, okay, if I do this, then you must do that. That's another danger with fasting. We enter a contract with God and it's almost like by ourselves. If I go without this, you've got to do that. No. We've got to get that out of our brain as well. When you and I fast, it's something that you go before God and you say, "Heavenly Father, this is what I'm going to give up for this period of time." Okay? You can add to it, "This is what I'm fasting for specifically, but I'm leaving it in your hands. Does everybody see that? Can I suggest something as well? It's very important to write? these things down. Can I tell you why? The enemy is a master at sly manipulation. Can you see that? If you and I don't write the terms down, guess what? I'll give you a classic example. Oh Lord, I will eat nothing that is solid. No solids for me. No solids for me. I'll just, just liquids, you see. So the enemy comes along and says, well, you know what, um, Graham? Milkshake is also liquid. (laughs) Yes, it is. I'll explain how the devil goes. And you know, Graham, what is milkshake? It's really ice cream that's melted. So if you want to just stay within the bounds of your fast, there's this nice ice cream that you also don't eat it, just drink it, sort of. Can you see? And by the time you've got there, you know what's happened to your fast? It's torn to shreds. Does everybody grasp this? So it's very important to say, okay, this is it. This is what I'm going to do, and that's how I'm going to go about it. Amen? Can you see that? It's so important. The timing is also very important, to have the exact time. How many days? And then you put the hour as well, 6 o'clock to 6 o'clock, or whatever. Very important. And then also, you can bring into this whole equation, Father God, there's this particular problem I'm dealing with. I'd like to fast for that. Does everybody see this? Can I just say, as you and I approach it wisely, the Lord will bless us beyond what we ask for. Did you know that? In so many different ways. And whenever you and I sacrifice something, because that's the heart of it, when we sacrifice, When you sacrifice something, it's got to cost us something. Does that make sense? If I, for example, say, Father God, for the next two years, I will not eat broccoli. Get very religious about it. Father God, no broccoli will pass these lips. For two years, Lord, do you hear that? Two years, save the world because graham's fast. Well, I mean, please, dear God. What I'm trying to say is, if I go without broccoli, it's not any harm to myself. Something that your flesh. Enjoys. If you sacrifice something that doesn't cost you anything, that's the problem with the church. Did you know that generally speaking? We want everything but we don't want to pay nothing for it. No sacrifice, you see. And although you and I mustn't get into a mentality of, oh God will only help me if I suffer pain, that's not really how it works either. But let me tell you what blesses God is when there's something in our lives when we say to him, Father God, this is a way I can show you that I love you. Amen. I enjoy this, but you're more important to me than this. Can you see? When you and I do that, let me tell you, it puts an edge to our prayers. Puts an edge to our prayers. Because then God says, this man and this woman, serious. They mean what they say. Amen. So, what I'm going to suggest is that you and I consider this in our own lives. Once again, please don't start with 40 days. Rather do something small, maybe it's a particular television program that you really love. Maybe it's an addiction to the cell phone, to the news, something like that that you can do without. But you don't want to do without. <laughs> it could be food. It could be certain types of food, no sugar, or something like that. Instead of 10 teaspoons of sugar in my coffee, I reduce it to nine and a half. Feel the pain, feel the pain. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to show us something that maybe we can just, for a period of time, do without. It is like an offering. But you see, an offering that doesn't cost anything, doesn't mean much. Remember the Lord's looking in the temple there. First of all, there's this rich priest and he's flinging money, trumpets, watch everybody, and he puts his money into the offering box, trumpets, and next to him is this widow, the little mite. But that's all she's got to live on. She throws it into the box, which is the greatest sacrifice, the one for whom it cost her a lot. Now, I'm not saying that she went without, because I can guarantee God would have made sure she ate better than she'd ever eaten before. But you understand, that's the spirit of it. The spirit of it is this. If it really means something to you, and you say, no, Lord. There was a musician, and God challenged him, because his music had become his God. you know that? And God challenged him. You know what he did? He took all his music, put it in a big envelope and chucked it over the bridge into the water. That's what God was doing, testing his heart. Do you know what happened a few days later? Knock on the door. Sir, I believe this is yours. <laughs> it all came back. You see, God isn't here to steal from us. He's here to give us over and above, beyond. Let's read that scripture. Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, Above all that we ask or think. That's a lot, isn't it? Above all that we ask or think, some translations say, beyond all that we can even imagine, according to the power that works in us. GMP glory in the church. Amen? God is able to do great things. But my suggestion is, once again, don't rush into it. Don't try and do three months. Or five weeks or you understand rather start with something small and learn how it goes there are a lot of lessons to be learned especially if you are going into a long fast be very cautious about it a lot of people what happens is they go into a long fast and that's fine and they do that very well and then when they come out of it they don't come out of it the right way because you've been fantasizing about all this food and when you get an opportunity to eat You overdo it and it can cause a lot of physical damage. So please, if you are going to do a long fast, and it's a good thing to fast, be cautious about it. Get advice first. Amen? Talk about it. Learn more about it, especially if you have a physical condition of some sort or another. Don't be arrogant and say, well, God will undertake and we're not wise. Okay? But that's a whole lesson on its own. And I don't want to go there. The basic principle is you saying to God, "It's a contract, you're saying to God, "Listen, I want to do this for you. This is my request. I leave it in your hands, but I want to do this for you, to show you that I love you." If you have that attitude, let me tell you, it's amazing what God will start to do in our lives. It makes our relationship with Him so much more alive, and it's a good thing to do. And we need to learn how to do it. As individuals and also as a church. Amen? Because I can tell you, I've been in situations where we've needed prayer support. And I'm very reluctant to make a general request for prayer. Some churches have got what they call prayer chains. And the one church we belong to, the lady in charge of the prayer chain, she didn't believe that God could heal people. And how's that? So if you're facing a serious physical problem, do you want a person like that praying for you? No. I've actually had occasions where I went on a missionary trip with a few people. I asked the intercessor in the church to pray for us. Halfway through the ministry trip, I had to get out of bed and cut off all the chains that had come over me because of her prayer. Did you know that? They're praying wrong. Now, you see, what I'd like to know is that we've got a team of people that know how to pray and know how to fast. Amen? Wouldn't that be nice? Life-threatening situation in hospital there. You phone the church. The church says, okay, we declare a fast. The devil hasn't got a chance. There's no reason why anybody in our midst should suffer any great sickness or whatever, or death. But you see, when the devil comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard. Let me tell you, we've got a group of people that now to pray and fast, and we exercise it on a regular basis. Do you know what will happen? When the devil comes to us, guess what he'll do? Take a wide berth around. You understand? Because he knows that if he goes there, he's going to get hurt. Amen. I mean, that's what we want, don't we? Going into what we're going into. I'd like to be in a situation where I know the devil can do whatever he likes, everywhere else, but not here. Amen. I how do we get there? We learn. How do we learn? One step at a time. Amen. So I'm encouraging us to learn how to pray and how to fast. Amen. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we've got these wonderful weapons of our warfare. Thank you that we can use them, Lord. Help us. Teach us how to use them. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray and fast effectively. How to proclaim your word. How to believe your word. Now, to be a city upon a hill, no fear. Help us, Lord, to be the people you want, to be the standard that you can raise up when the enemy comes in like a flood. In Yeshua's mighty name. Amen.